Hey y'all, this is Dr. Will Bolsowitz, New York Times bestselling author of Fiber Fueled and the Fiber Fueled Cookbook. And I'm with SoFlow Vegans. Welcome to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. We bring you vegan experts from around the world to talk about health, the environment, animal advocacy, and spreading compassion. It's our passion to help you navigate the vegan lifestyle by listening to the experiences of vegan influencers, doctors, and experts. Thanks for listening. This is the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. And now your host, Sean Russell. And welcome back to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. And today on the show, we have a returning champion. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We have Dr. Will Boschwitz, also known as Dr. Will, also known as Dr. B. And he is here to share the news about your health, fiber, and everything else in between. I don't know what would be in between that. Well, um, thank you so much for being on the show. Sean, thank you for having me on the show, man. I love the way that when you say so flow, it's like it just rolls off the tongue. Like that in itself is a flow. <laughs> love it. So typically we would start off with our vegan origin story, but as you are a returning champion, I want to use as much time as possible to provide our listeners with knowledge and information they can walk away with because that is the purpose of the show. The purpose of the show is for anyone who is a pre-vegan, a vegan, flexitarian, whatever label you want to use today, we want to give you the tools you can use to have your greatest life. So with that being said, let's start off with a new project that you're working on. And then that will kind of create the context for the conversation moving forward. So tell us a little bit about this new project that you have coming up. Well, I got a brand new book. And so it's called The Fiber Fueled Cookbook. This is the follow-up to my original. So my original book was Fiber Fueled. And I, last time that I was on the show, I was here to talk about that book. And I'm back here today to report that my life has been wild since the last time that I was here on this show. Fiber Fueled was a New York Times bestseller and has sold 200,000 copies. And thank you, Sean. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, so, I appreciate it, man. And so it's been really exciting and kind of crazy. But at the same time, what I'm really passionate about is that this has opened up doors for me. And now I see that I have the ability to take my education and my experience and my talents and apply them into things like books where I can create tools to help people that are suffering and they're looking for solutions. And that's what the Fiber Fields Cookbook is. This actually goes far beyond what our sort of conception of a, of a cookbook is. Yes, there are recipes, but actually this to me is more like a toolkit for gut health where, you know, no matter who you are and how you're coming into this, like, I love the way that you led into the show, Sean, because I want people to be included and like enjoying this party with us. And this is not an exclusive thing. Everyone is invited and you come in your own form and let's celebrate plants together. Mm. And that's kind of what the philosophy behind this book, no matter who you are, whether you have gut health issues, you don't have gut health issues. I want you to come and be a part of the plant party with us so that we can all eat from the same cookbook. And I, and I think the powerful part about all of this is that this isn't a vegan thing. This isn't an exclusivity thing. Like we all have a gut microbiome going on. Uh, gut microbiome, I said that correctly? 
Hell yeah. yeah. Okay. We, 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 all, we all have that going on inside of us. And I'm sure at one point, and if you're not in this category, you are truly blessed. You've experienced some sort of disruption in, in, in your gut and, and things of that nature. So you can definitely relate to that. So what I definitely want to do in this conversation is just to ask you some lay questions in terms of the gut. And, you know, let people know, like, the importance of it. Because, yes, we've had a lot of conversations on this podcast with yourself and other people about it. But I feel like there's still a lot of people, even myself included, that aren't fully aware of how important it is to make sure that that ecosystem is is in alignment. I guess alignment is the best word to say. Yeah. So let's so start from there. Why is it so important that we are aware of what's going on in, inside of our gut? Well, we're living through a fascinating time because, Sean, it's almost like we just discovered a brand new organ, which is bizarre to even consider because think of how many CAT scans are done in the United States on a yearly basis. Like literally millions and millions of CAT scans are done. How would it be possible to discover a new organ? Mm. But it turns out that this organ is invisible to the naked eye, but it is there. There is no denying it. The problem is that we can't see it with our own eyes. And so we struggle to make this real in our mind. But if we had a microscope and we zoomed in, we would discover that covering all parts of our body, our skin, our nose, inside our mouth, like literally on top of our eyeballs, and most concentrated actually inside our intestines, particularly our large intestine, you will find microbes. And they are as alive as you and I are, and they are there with a purpose. And what it turns out is that their purpose is human health. We allowed these microbes to actually take completely critical parts of human health and be responsible for them. So clearly, we evolved to trust our microbiome because without them, we would really struggle as humans we need them for digestion, for our metabolism, our immune system, our hormones, our mood, our brain health, and even the expression of our genetic code. And when you run down the line of all of this, you start realizing that, gosh, like Dr. B is basically describing the critical parts of human biology and how we work. And what I'm saying to you in the message is that these microbes are the key to those parts of us working the way they're supposed to. We need them and we need to nurture them. So this is a more of like a philosophical question. I've noticed that the, there is a relation or correlation between a human and the universe. What role would those microbes play in relation to what we can see in the physical world? Like what would be that correlation you'd think? I love this question because it's important for people to realize that there is no such thing as alive and sterile in nature. So microbes are literally everywhere. I mean, again, we can't see them with the naked eye, but they are there. If we were walking around with our microscopes and looking at everything, we have a microbiome, the animals have a microbiome, mm. the plants have a microbiome, the soil has a microbiome, the ocean has a microbiome, and we could keep going. The microbes are literally just ubiquitously covering everything. And what I find to be very interesting, I've been thinking a lot about this, is that nature recreates itself just on different levels or planes of existence. 
And what I mean by that is it's a question of like, are we zooming in or are we zooming out? And when we zoom in, you see these microbes and they are existing there, teeming and alive and interacting with one another. And it's like a bustling city. And then we zoom out and you see us and we are alive and teeming and bustling. And there are 8 billion of us. But if you were to go up into outer space and look at planet Earth, you would see this large planet and you wouldn't see any humans. And you would question, do humans even exist? Could they possibly be there? We are there, <laughs> right? So I think that the, the answer to your question is that like, this is a part of nature and they are literally everywhere. And there is no living creature on this planet that does not have a microbiome. So it's a part of everything. It's ubiquitous. And think about a seed. And the seed falls down into the soil. And the microbes that exist within that soil lift that seed up and bring it to life. The seed germinates and it sprouts. And out comes this little sprout that starts to grow. And it reaches up towards the sun. And covering that sprout are microbes. Every single smallest little millimeter, micrometer, whatever you want to call it, covered in microbes. And it reaches up towards the sun and it starts to mature and the microbes are part of that maturation process. And then Sean, you and I are out one day and we're walking by and we look down and we go, look at that beautiful cabbage. And that cabbage that I've been describing this whole time that started as a seed, it has a microbiome. And if you and I harvested that microbiome, if, if we harvested that cabbage and we chopped it up and we submerged it under a saltwater solution, we would in about a week have sauerkraut mm. because the microbes that are already a part of that cabbage microbiome are prepared to make that transformation for us from cabbage into sauerkraut. But if we leave it alone, if you and I go, that's not for us for today, we're going to leave that cabbage alone and you and I continue on that cabbage continues to mature and then it starts to brown and it starts to decompose and the microbes are a part of this process too and the earth takes the cabbage back and it creates a new generation of healthy soil and healthy microbes to support the next seed that falls into the soil this is the circle of life sean and this is exactly the way that it works with us as humans my wife is pregnant we're expecting a baby in the next couple of weeks. Congratulations. And when that child is born, that child will be exposed to the microbes. And that mi those microbes will help to lift my, my daughter up, my newborn daughter, will lift my daughter up and help her to grow and mature and eventually become an adult, a beautiful adult. And that adult human has their microbiome. And we go through the stages of life and the microbiome is with us every single step of, along that path through the stages of life until one day the earth takes us back. And that is the circle of life. It involves us, it involves the plants, and all other life on this planet. Now, as far as the microbiome and the um, microbes and everything, is this, is, is this a recent discovery? Have we known this for a long time? Like, is, how new is this discovery? Well, so it's very interesting because we knew that there were microbes. Like, we knew that they were there. But there were two issues. Number one, we didn't actually have the right laboratory tests to study them. So they, because the most of the microbes that live inside of us, they actually will not grow on a culture plate. So for, you know, decades, 
it was the culture plate. That's how we sort of studied microbes. The second problem is that, frankly, we didn't care. <laughs> we weren't too worried about it. We didn't really think that we were missing out on anything that was very important because, you know, microbes, like they're responsible for making bowel movements and the smells that come out of bathrooms. And so, like, why would we think that that's important? Why would doctors start studying that of all things? Right. But then around 2005, 2006, we had two major breakthroughs. First, we developed a laboratory technique that allowed us to, for the first time, move beyond the culture plate and take a look at what's happening with these microbes that we have been struggling to identify. And the second thing is that our computers caught up. The computers that you and I were tinkering with in the 1990s with our 28-8 modem, <laughs> right? Um, when we were back on AOL with our screen names, those computers are nowhere close to, believe it or not, handling the amount of information that exists within a bowel movement. Mm. Like there is so much information there. And so um, now here we are in 2005, 2006, we developed the laboratory techniques, we have the computers, we look under the hood for the first time, and science, like effectively, the eyes of science bugged out. And went, whoa, what's happening, man? And so we had discovered something radical. And we are in the process of undergoing a revolution within science, truly. Because this is the this is the new frontier of discovery. Mm -hmm. Like no longer is it manifest destiny and trying to get to the Pacific Ocean. Mm -hmm. The new frontier in 2022 is understanding our microbiome and how we can use it to improve human health. Wow. And technology is only going to continue to become more advanced. So with that being said, I mean, have there been any other recent findings? as the technology has become more advanced that maybe we didn't know back in 2005, 2006? Yeah, so like just to kind of frame this, to put into perspective how crazy things got, and, and very quickly, in 2006, it was the first time that we had a study where they would take a the microbiome from one mouse. And like, by the way, I, I'm not a supporter of animal research, but I will describe it when it is relevant to the conversation. So, but in this research, they would take the microbiome from one mouse and transfer it into a different mouse. And if the first mouse was obese, then the new mouse that receives their microbiome will become obese as well. Hmm. And so that was like literally 16 years ago. And we were like, from a scientific perspective, whoa, what the heck is this? This is insane. And when you accelerate through the time since then, we've discovered that there's such tremendous complexity to this ecosystem that lives inside of us that it's actually very challenging for us to really fully capture and understand it so we've spent the most the most of our time in the last 16 years really just kind of describing what we're seeing and trying to make sense of that but sean we're entering into a new era and it's really exciting because what we're starting to do for the first time is manipulate the microbiome mm. for the purpose of human health. So a couple quick examples. This is research that has to do with melanoma, which is the most common, well, it's the most deadly form of skin cancer that exists. Not the most common, but the most deadly form of skin cancer. 
And at MD Anderson, one of our top cancer centers in the United States, they're studying how they can try to use the microbiome to improve treatment for melanoma. Here's some of the recent uh, discoveries all since 2018. These are all in the last four years. Number one, if you give a person antibiotics prior to giving them immunotherapy, which is the treatment for the cancer, if you give them antibiotics before you give them cancer therapy, they are less likely to have a good response to cancer therapy. Antibiotics injure the microbiome. Mm. Number two, if you give a fecal transplant, meaning that you give a person a brand new healthy microbiome, and you give that prior to cancer therapy, you get a better response mm. to cancer therapy. And more recently, this just came out in December of 2021. I'm very excited about this study. Mm -hmm. They were looking at diet and melanoma outcomes. And they saw that if you look at fiber specifically, and they separated people, 20 grams of fiber or less than 20 grams of fiber. Now, Sean, you probably already know this, but I just want to be clear for everyone who's listening at home. 20 grams of fiber is actually less, like far less than the minimum recommended amount of fiber that we're supposed to be consuming. Mm. So on average, a woman in the US is supposed to consume 25 grams of fiber per day. And a man is supposed to be consuming 38 grams of fiber. In this study, 71% of people weren't even getting to 20 grams of fiber. Mm -hmm. But for the 29% who did, even though we would call them fiber deficient, mm -hmm. they still had a significantly increased likelihood of surviving cancer. Mm -hmm. And for every, now what I'm about to say, like it's a little bit crazy. So I just want everyone to hear this. For every five grams that you increased your fiber intake, the likelihood of surviving cancer increased by 30%. Oh. That's insane. This is information that's out there. It's, it's, it's not disputable. It's, it's like, these are facts, I'm, I, I would say facts. Well, Sean, this is you know a description of new research that's emerging out of MD Anderson. And naturally, we will want to see this replicated at other cancer centers. Um, we will also, th they're actively doing a randomized controlled trial to bring more clarity to this. So from a scientific perspective, there's always opportunity for us to do better and to increase our confidence that what we're seeing is in fact the truth. So, you know, speaking myself as a scientist and as, as a medical doctor, no one study proves anything. Gotcha. We want to see layers of evidence all pointing in the same direction. But where the point being, though, that where we stand today is that when you punch the microbiome in the face, you actually reduce your likelihood of get, getting a good result from cancer therapy. Mm -hmm. And when you lift the microbiome up, whether it's through fecal transplant or by simply eating a salad, <laughs> <laughs> by simply doing that, you can actually get these amazing results. And with so much at stake, right? This is cancer therapy. This is a life-threatening condition mm -hmm. with so much at stake to say that there is a 30% increased likelihood of survival when you consume five grams more of fiber per day. That's mm -hmm. like, that should be making the national news on a nightly basis. Why are we not talking about this? 
And I think that is the next question. Why aren't we talking about this? Why hasn't this been like, you know, like you said, front page news? I think that what what has happened, so I, I'd be curious to hear what you think about this, Sean, because this is something that we all deal with. This is not just me and, and you know, my position as a medical doctor, but like, I think that we all grapple with where we get our news from in 2022. Where are our trusted sources of information? Because we have moved, you and I, I believe, are similar enough in age that we remember what it was like in the early days of the internet. And it was like suddenly we had access to information that we never had access to. Mm -hmm. And we called it the information age. And now we, I believe, have transitioned to actually this is the misinformation age. Mm -hmm. Because what it is, is that every single possibility of an opinion to tell you what you want to hear does exist on the internet at this point. And if you want that confirmation bias and you want someone to tell you what you want to hear, you can find it. But the more challenging part is how do we vet and identify trusted sources of information and then actually listen to them as opposed to just seeking out what we want to hear? I, th I think that's one of the challenges that we have these days. We want to hear from you. Visit our website to ask a question, leave a comment, or tell us how much you love the show. We'll play some of your messages during the episode, as well as directly to our guests. So be sure to leave your name and city and visit SoFloVegans.com slash podcast. No, I, I agree with you. I, and, I, and I feel like it all started, like my background is in communications. It's all started with yellow journalism and Sadly to say, that kind of got its origin from South Florida. There's, they could actually pinpoint it to like a news station here in South Florida. But I feel like at, we're at a point right now where even if there was that source, it would be based off of you know how you identify yourself, whether or not you trust that source. I think that's very true. I think that's actually very true. So, and I think that's one of the challenges that we have is that we have, it forces us actually to be introspective mm. and to acknowledge our own personal biases. And so I am, first of all, imperfect. And I do my best to remain humble with the type of work that I do, recognizing that there are going to be things that I say that will prove to be wrong. And I have to accept that. And part of the reason why I have to accept that is that I actually don't think it makes sense for me to plant a flag and dig a trench and defend that position for the rest of my career. I think instead it's better for me to just be honest and humble about it and ride the horse of science and wherever that takes me, allow it to take me. And so, but the beautiful thing about it, Sean, is this. So, you know, first of all, I, I would separate plant-based from veganism I see them as things that could be completely overlapped, mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily overlapped. And veganism is a beautiful thing, but it is motivated by selflessness, concern for the environment, concern for the animals. Whereas plant-based is motivated by what I would describe as an awesome form of selfishness you want to be healthy and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And we can help you do that. And so the exciting thing about it, Sean, is that this science that I'm describing to you, 
everything that we're talking about, like what is the role of a healthy diet in cancer therapy? We'll continue to unpack that, but I can tell you this. Fiber is good for the microbiome, and that's never going to change. Mm -hmm. And fiber we find in plants. And part of my message that's very important to me is um, there may be some people who disagree with me on this, but I want to create the most inclusive form of a plant-based or vegan diet possible so that people don't feel intimidated by the way that we eat, which may be radically different than the way that they eat. And the average American right now is only 10% plant-based. So we are asking a lot to say to them, you got to come all the way over to this other <laughs> side, right? They're actually closer to being a carnivore than they are to being vegan, mm -hmm. the average American right now. So to get us to come over, Let's create a pathway that like really motivates and encourages them, which is to me the microbiome science. But let's also like celebrate the victories and the steps that individual people are taking as they make this journey towards us, right? Let's cheer them on the entire way. And then wherever they end up, if they're a bad vegan, cool. <laughs> I celebrate <laughs> that. If we have bad vegans, like if we had a whole bunch of bad vegans, this planet would be so much better than it currently is. And kind of, Jumping on something you just said there, you want to create the most inclusive form of a plant-based diet. Yeah, yeah. So what does that look like? It's coming forward with honesty to say that there are many forms of a healthy diet, mm. right? So if we're talking about plant-based, then we're talking about health. And that means that I'm wearing, you know, even though I might not be like physically wearing my doctor's coat right now, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm basically wearing my doctor's coat and I'm here to talk about health and I'm being a doctor and I'm keeping it real. And so keeping it real means that there are many forms of a healthy diet and not every one of them is actually vegan. Gotcha. But what they are is they are all predominantly plant-based. So we can look at this and say the healthiest diets on the planet are all 70, 80, 90, or 100% plant-based. Okay. And I want to get people into that space. I want to get people from 10% plants up to 70, 80, 90, 100% plant-based. And I'm willing to bet, because this is what happened to me, I'm willing to bet that when a person gets that close, mm -hmm. not, number one, they're going to feel awesome. And so they're going to want more. But number two, because they are going to feel so connected to their food, <laughs> it's going to open their mind and increase their consciousness with regard to the effect of their dietary choices on these other parts of the world, like the environment and the animals. And that's a beautiful thing. That's how we invite people in and we get them part of what we're doing, but there's many different ways to get there. And you literally just described my journey. Is like, that right? I, like, honestly, to a T, I started to shift the foods that I was eating. I got um, access to information about what I was putting into my body. And I systematically started to eat more plant-based uh -huh. and then started having conversations with people about veganism, vegetarianism. And then, and I was like probably 80% there and I'm like, why not? But if I, if I would have had that same conversation, maybe a couple months before I wouldn't, that's an interesting way to look at it. For me. So just to, to sort of share that connection with you, that's what happened for me too. So I started making changes in my diet and it was not an overnight or radical thing. It was, these were small choices, but it was building momentum. Mm 
you know, like ma- making those small choices actually consistent and coming back and doing it again and then adding another small choice. And over the course of years, as I did this, I actually had 35 pounds basically melt off my body and I had health issues that disappeared. And it was like roughly 2017-ish. And I was like, you know, probably 85 or 90% plant-based. But there was definitely still dairy and eggs involved in my diet. And I was like sitting there and you know what? Well, I was like one day, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give this a shot and see what happens. And um, when I did, I lost the last 15 pounds that I had gained and I got back to my high school weight. And I was, you know, if it was 2017, then I was like in my late thirties when this happened. One question that I have on my mind before I forget to ask you, fiber. What exactly is it about fiber that makes it good for our, for our, micro, for our gut microbiome? Yes. Thank you for asking that. Because I think that we need to reevaluate our preconceived ideas of what fiber is and how it works. I think that most of us come into this equation, if you're like me, then your vision of fiber is grandma with an orange drink that she stirs and she drinks it so that she can have a bowel movement. Mm -hmm. And that's so boring and lame and doesn't acknowledge the really exciting transformative research that has taken place in the space of fiber in recent years where, you know, we thought the fiber goes in one end and then just comes out the other end. And that's not actually really the truth. Instead, what happens is that fiber goes, it goes in and it passes through the intestines unchanged because we big, strong humans actually lack the enzymes necessary to process and digest our fiber. We just, we, as great as we think that we are, we don't actually have those enzymes, but guess who does? our gut microbes. They have them in spades. They may have 60,000 varieties of these enzymes to process and unpack fiber. And so fiber enters into the large intestine where the microbiome lives. And these microbes, they get into a feeding frenzy and they consume the fiber. They actually break it down and it stops being fiber and it turns into food for these microbes. They grow stronger they become more capable of doing their job, which of course is to elevate human health as a result of this fiber. Like, you know, when I eat well, I am stronger, right? And this is true of them as well. So, but then the other thing that happens is the fiber just doesn't like poof, disappear. But instead, these microbes, it's almost like they're Harry Potter whipping a wand and the fiber stops being fiber. And all of a sudden, what we have in front of us are the most healing, most anti-inflammatory molecules that I have ever come across. And Sean, I started medical school in 2002, so I've been doing this for 20 years. This is the most healing, most anti-inflammatory thing I've ever come across, the short-chain fatty acids, Mm. butyrate, acetate, and propionate. These short-chain fatty acids, they have healing effects right there in the gut microbiome. You want to heal the microbiome? This is what we need. You want to prevent colon cancer, our number two cause of cancer death in America. This is what we need. You want to optimize your immune system, whether it's to prevent autoimmune diseases or it's to fight against uh, COVID-19. This is what we need. 
You want your engine, your metabolism to run like a Corvette. This is what we need. You want the you want your brain to be sharp, to be healthy, focused. This is what we need. These short-chain fatty acids spread throughout the entire body and they have healing effects everywhere that they go. Now, so thank you for that explanation. Now, let's talk a little bit about examples of the types of fiber that we can start to consume to do all of those things that you just mentioned. Like what are what are some some examples? that um, you can share with us? Well, so this can get very complicated to be totally honest with you. Fiber, if you were to be like, get super nerdy like me and look at the biochemical structure of fiber, it's impossible to describe. (laughs) It is so complicated and so varied and unique. So I think that the important message is actually quite simple though is that there are many forms of fiber and you find them in plants and mushrooms. So all fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, and legumes, and mushrooms have fiber. And the fiber is not just like quite simply fiber. Um, There are unique types and every plant will have its own unique types. And this is a part of the reason why we believe that every single plant will feed specific families of microbes. Mm. And we want all of these microbial families, we want them to be well-fed. We want them all to have a chance to basically get stronger and then help us and support us. And so this actually brings us to one of the really sort of critical and important concepts of gut health that everyone needs to hear which is that it is very important not just to eat plants, but actually for us to eat a wide variety of plants. So when we have variety in our diet, all those different types of plants, we are feeding all those different types of of microbes. Variety on the plate translates into variety in the gut and variety in the gut is a healthy gut microbiome. So ultimately our goal is very simple. I mean, again, like we could get very complicated in terms of like the biochemistry and stuff, but truly it really just comes down to, we need plants, we need them in abundance, and we need to max out the variety. Now you said each type of plant has its unique sort of type of microbiome. Can we map these different plants to the microbiome and what those um, micro, do I say microbiome or microbe? You could use the word microbiome to describe the whole community, which would be fine. You know, the microbes are the individual, you know, sort of bacteria or fungi, whatever they may be. So, but can we map that? So the answer is yes. First of all, we do know that your dietary choices, all the food that goes into your mouth is ultimately going to come into contact with these microbes Mm. and it's going to shape them. Certain microbes will get fed. Certain microbes will starve. And depending on what you're eating, some microbes could even be poisoned. And so the choices that we make become important, but I actually see this as empowerment. What that means is that you have the ability to shape what your microbiome looks like. You just have to choose food that your microbes like, and that's quite simple. It's the plants. So now can we map it? Can we like make connections between specific microbes and specific foods? The answer is yes. 
actually there was a study from a company that I am the US medical director for called Zoe. Now with Zoe, we do personalized nutrition. We can talk more about this if it's something that you're interested in, Sean. I'm not here to dive too deeply into Zoe unless you want to, but with Zoe, we create personalized nutrition plans for people. It's something that is going into your unique biology and it's motivated by these microbes. And we had a, a paper that was published in the journal Nature Medicine, which is literally the top science journal on the planet. Like if we find the cure for cancer, that's where it will be published. And it was in January of 2021 that we published this paper. And what it showed is that your food predicts your microbes and your microbes predict your health outcomes like your blood sugar or your blood fat or obesity. And so you can actually see the steps in which there is this cascade effect where our food choices are not just food, but actually translating into specific microbes that are growing stronger. And then those microbes that are growing stronger are then having a cascade effect onto our metabolism or other parts of our health. So literally everything that we put into our bodies, every food that we eat can potentially alter influence our microbiome yeah. in a positive or negative way. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And and you know, this is where I mean, let's take a referendum for a moment on the average American's diet and you know, let me just say like I am not here I can assure you I am not here casting stones from an ivory tower. What I'm about to describe, I'm just going to tell you my diet was far worse 10 years ago. So, but the average American's diet is about 10% plant-based. And the other 90% is um, mostly ultra-processed foods. So 60% of our diet is ultra-processed foods. And 30% of our diet is animal products. And that means meat, dairy, and eggs. Well, with the animal products, I can tell you what the fiber content is because it's very simple. It's zero. There is no fiber in that part of our diet. And with the uh, ultra-processed foods we're unfortunately making a compromise because we are taking a food that starts off very healthy, like it could be a plant. And it starts off very healthy, and then we are stripping it of certain nutrients, and we are removing the fiber, and then we are adding in chemicals to turn it into an ultra-processed food. And these chemicals, I have concerns about them. You know, even if the studies aren't done for all of them, which it's going to be very hard for us to do because there are 10,000 of these chemicals out there. What I know is this, that we talked earlier about the cabbage, right? The cabbage that grows and it has a microbiome. And then ultimately that cabbage turns brown and it decomposes and the microbes are involved in that process. How do we create bread that does not mold over for weeks? How do we create crackers that are as crispy and crunchy and fresh as the day that you created them. And they've been sitting on the shelf for two years. And the answer to this question is that when food decomposes, you know, we might call it rot, but it's not rotten. It's just, this is the circle of life. Mm -hmm. But when food decomposes, it's the microbes that are doing it. And if we want to disrupt that process, the way that you do that is disrupting the microbes. 
So what does that mean when 60% of our calories come from foods that are designed to disrupt the microbes? That to me is very concerning. And uh, it's, this is not, I'm not here to say, first of all, I do eat processed foods. So, I mean, I would be silly to pretend that I don't, but, and I'm also not here to say that like categorically having one single Oreo is going to cause harm to your health. That's, that's not true. But I do think that we need to look at the scale of balance and on the sitting on the scale of balance right now is only 10% healthy food Mm -hmm. and 90% food that is not contributing to our health. How do we get that scale of balance working for us rather than against us? And the answer is very simple. We have to take these parts, the 90% that are not contributing to a healthier microbiome, and we need to replace them and level up our nutrition. And the way that we do this quite simply is moving towards more plants. So it's a path that it's a journey that as we talked about, Sean, you and I have both taken during our lives and seen the radical results. And now here I am today, and I'm explaining to you the science behind what's actually happening to our body when we feel so much better, and we, our health gets into alignment when we make these choices. Wow. Thank you for answering all of my I'm really coming from a place of curiosity with these questions, because I understand as much as I can understand how important this is. And I'm um, hopefully the listeners and viewers are picking up on that as well. So as we wind down the, the podcast, the conversation, two things are popping up in my head that I do want to ask. When I hear about your gut microbiome and some of the foods that you take, two thing, two types of foods typically come to mind. One being kombucha and the other being probiotics, like yogurt and things of that nature. And I've seen some in the refrigerated section of Whole Foods you can just take and drink and what have you. So could you just talk a little bit about those two items and you know how they actually impact your, your microbiome? Yeah. Let me start by going a bit more broad because both of the items that you're asking me about are forms of fermented foods. Mm -hmm. So And so let me just sort of broaden this out for a moment. We have suspected that fermented foods are good for our gut health for a very long time. Uh, in fact, when I wrote Fiber Fuels, I there's one of the things that I recommended is that people reintroduce themselves to fermented foods because they used to be part of our most celebrated dietary patterns in all cultures, all societies across the globe up until very recently when we you know discovered refrigeration and preservatives and canning and all these things. So I think it's time that we reintroduce ourselves to these. But less than a year ago, Sean, Researchers out of Stanford University, who I actually know, Christopher Gardner, Justin Sonnenberg, and Erica Sonnenberg, they did a research study where they took a group of people and they had them significantly increase their fermented food consumption. And they did this for 10 weeks. And what's exciting about it is that after just 10 weeks of increasing their fermented food consumption, they discovered that their gut microbiome was healthier. Mm -hmm represented by increased diversity in the microbiome, and they had less inflammation. Now, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I think that we should all be eating fermented food. Now, the choices that you have presented are kombucha, and we're going to call it yogurt. And from my perspective, first of all, can kombucha be a part of a healthful diet? Sure, but in moderation. I think you're better off drinking water. 
But some kombucha consumed part of our diet, certainly that can be a part of the fermented food thing. And I don't want to say that it's, um, I would say that it's something that could be a part of what's good for us in terms of our microbiome. I just don't think we should overdo it though. Mm-hmm. And with regard to yogurt, so, you know, the problem that I have when it comes to, for example, yogurt or like kefir, which is fermented milk, is that they're being honest. There are studies that would suggest that it's actually pretty good for our gut. Now, the problem is that those studies are like always sponsored by the dairy industry. And it makes it very challenging for me to know whether or not there's truth because of the sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Because research has consistently shown that when an industry sponsors research that they like effectively will will gain from a positive result, you are way more likely to get a positive result in those studies. So we have to really take them with a grain of salt. And so from my perspective, I kind of feel like why would we opt for those fermented foods? Like yogurt has no fiber. Mm. Why would we opt for that when we could be opting for the fermented vegetables that do have fiber? and do have the polyphenols and also have the microbes. And so you're getting what is like basically a cocktail designed for gut health on such a higher power than you would be with the fermented dairy product. Okay, well, that answers my question. So yeah, that was my follow-up would have been, if not, you know, kombucha and obviously I'm not you know, consuming yogurt. It's just one of the two things that pop into my head. You have fermented fruits. But how does that look? I can't even imagine that. I guess maybe I have seen it, but like what, where would you get that? Do you make it yourself? Do they sell it in the supermarket? Like fermented fruits and veggies? You can get in the supermarket. It may not be the run of the mill supermarket that you go to locally. And it's hard for me to speak categorically because I think we all have our pockets of humanity that we exist in. But like, for example, Trader Joe's has products like this, Mm -hmm. right? And what you want to look for is you want to basically see that number one, that it is not uh, vinegar-based, predominantly vinegar-based, because vinegar-based basically means that that's not actually microbes, that that they're just pouring vinegar in there, and then it tastes like it's fermented, but it's really not. Mm-hmm. And you also want to see that like basically it says live active cultures, mm-hmm. and that will mean that it's actually a living food. And that's the preferable approach. Now, I love to make my own. And making sauerkraut, we alluded to this earlier, like the, you know, you see this cabbage and all you gotta do is chop it up and put it under some, some salt water solution. I actually love making my own fermented food. And in the fiber fields cookbook, I give you recipes. Cause I think that this is one of the important things that people should be doing is eating fermented foods. So the way that you approach this and you ask, so doctor, how do I do that? That's a perfect segue into, this is why I wrote my book. So that you can know how to make, for example, fermented carrot sticks or fermented salsa or sourdough bread. We have a number, I think there's 10 or 12 different recipes that are fermented that people can enjoy. And since we're on the topic, and like you said, a great conversation segue, what are some other things that people can expect to see when they do purchase the book? So the Fiberfields Cookbook is meant almost as a choose your own adventure for gut health. I expect people to make it their own. I want them to make it their own and to find yourself in this book, whatever resonates with you. 
But to create an environment where you have like basically the tools that you need to be successful. I have 125 plant-based recipes, meaning vegan, 125 plant-based recipes. Every recipe is designed to increase diversity within your diet. I tell you how many plant points you get with every single recipe. Um, If you have food intolerances, I teach you how to approach food intolerances and fix them. And I give you two protocols that you can follow that will allow you to do that. I also teach you how to sprout, how to ferment, how to make sourdough bread. So basically all these tools that I think that people should have sort of in their toolkit, I want to give them to you. And the cookbook was the best way for me to do that because we're talking about food. And you said something just um, for clarity. What did you mean by plant point? All right. My philosophy for food is to maximize the diversity of plants in my diet. And so I want to get as many different varieties as possible because that's how you get a healthy microbiome. And to make that fun, I turned it into a game because I love games. So every single meal is a chance to play the game and you don't need to compete against anyone. You can just keep track of this for yourself. But I count how many plants are in the meal. And I'm constantly looking for ways to add more plants so that I can get a higher score. And that simple sort of motivation, it's helped me to basically introduce more variety into my diet. But the other thing that's helped me is just being practical. I'm a dad. I have two kids. We're expecting baby number three very soon. And I want my kids eating plants. And by introducing this game, we can have a challenge. I can hang a sheet of paper on the refrigerator and we can go head to head. And my kids are trying to beat me and they laugh and they celebrate when they do. And that's a fun way to sort of introduce this concept to your family. So before I before we close the podcast out with our last segment, can you let us know where we can find more information uh, about yourself, about the book, you know, your previous book? Where can people go? So my first book was Fiber Fueled. My new book is the Fiber Fueled Cookbook. You can find it wherever books are sold. That includes the traditional internet sources. But to be honest with you, one of my big things is that we are emerging, hopefully, from a pandemic here. And living in your community are neighbors who own a small business that sells books. And taking your you know, $20 or $25 and putting it in their hand, to me, makes a lot more sense than consolidating it in some person that you've never met before who lives on the other side of the world. So let's um, support our local bookstores whenever possible. That's just my personal preference. You can find me at www.theplantfedgut.com. You'll find resources there. You can sign up for my email list where I like to connect to people through my list and share new and exciting research when it comes out. And then you'll find me on Instagram and Facebook at the Gut Health MD. All right. So now I don't think we did this the last time you're on the show. We have a new closing segment where I invite our guests to drop from a headspace into a heart space and just speak directly to our audience. Whatever message comes up, the floor is yours. And then whenever you feel complete, that will be the end of the episode. Oh, I love that. This is really fun. Okay, cool. Hey, everyone. So 
one of the things that I want to talk about before we close out here today is that we all know, or at least I know so many people who they're trying so hard and they feel like they're doing everything right. They're following the diet that I recommend, sleeping, exercising, meditating, and yet they're not achieving the health results that they're looking for. And it's very frustrating for them, which I completely get. And what I want to bring forward today is that despite the fact that Sean and I have had this conversation about nutrition this whole time, and it, nutrition is important, there is no doubt, but there's so much more to us than just carbohydrates and proteins and fats and enzymes. There's so much more to us than just digestion. We are a human. We, are, we have a soul, a spirit. And that spirit is part of what you find reflected in our gut microbiome. And many of the people who are struggling with health issues, despite doing everything right, what I have found throughout my career is that there is something that is troubling them. There's something unsettled that needs to be uh, addressed. And I want to bring this forward because... I feel like this is a great opportunity for healing. So now this is not easy because sometimes this involves acknowledging things that you don't necessarily want to think about um, or taking steps that feel uncomfortable. But I just want to share a quick story before we close. I had a patient who I had worked with for two years and she had ulcerative colitis and I was doing everything that I could um, the diet, the lifestyle, the right medication, and she was not getting better. She was young. She had chronic diarrhea. She would wake up in the night to go number two, and she was single, and she could not date because of these issues. And we were both frustrated because we were both doing our best to get her better. And she came into uh, the office recently, and I saw her. And I walked into the room, and immediately she looked different and she had a smile on her face and I sat down and she says to me, Dr. B, I am so excited to tell you this. I'm better. I'm all the way better. I feel like myself again. And I feel like these issues that have dominated my life are under control now. And I like was jumping with joy, but I asked her, what changed? And she said, I realized I needed to leave my job. I would hate going to work every single day. My boss was mean to me and he would publicly embarrass me and demean me in front of my peers. And when I left, I found a new job and they actually treat me with respect. And when she did this, next thing you know, her health issues went away. And so I just want to take this moment to encourage everyone that healing exists. It is possible even when it seems impossible. And all it is is making sure that you have identified what it is that you potentially need to work on and then creating a plan to do that. That's all you have to do. So Sean, thank you again for having me on the show. 
You've been listening to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. As you can see, our passion is to help people navigate the vegan lifestyle, having on vegan experts from around the globe. Sean is the founder and, of course, the host of SoFlow Vegans, an organization created to help make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at SoFlow Vegans. Find the show and more at SoFlowVegans.com slash podcast. And for questions or comments, send an email to contact at SoFlowVegans.com. Our food is grown, not born. See you next time.